Listener supported. WNYC Studios. In an ideal world, when you're hired and you have a job, somebody's entire responsibility would be to you and equipping you with the skills that you need and including you in the right meetings and seizing you in the right emails. Hard fact, not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that truth bomb is courtesy of Stacey Marie Ishmael of BuzzFeed. And she's a regular on the podcast Another Round. And that's where she gives career advice and she just always seems to have the right answers. I'm Shamitha Basu, and this is Work It, the podcast, a compilation of the best moments from the live event. And one of those best moments came when Stacey Marie got on stage with Tracy Clayton. She's the co-host of Another Round. And they took audience questions on just about everything. I mean, from presenting yourself on social media to finding the right person in your office to offer guidance. I am Tracy Clayton from Another Round with Heaven and Tracy. I'm the Tracy part. Um, just so you guys know, this is going to be recorded for our podcast as well. So welcome to the podcast, everybody. Um, and of course, to my left is a woman who hopefully needs no introduction, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Um, she's wonderful. She's awesome. She's amazing. She's the smartest person I know. She's also probably blushing right now because she gets uncomfortable when I do this. Um, this is Stacey Marie Ishmael, who is basically the king of all of BuzzFeed's um, news apps. Okay. So this is how this is going to work. We've got about 20 minutes of questions that have been pre-selected from another round. Users, listeners. Audience. <laughs> Audience. Yeah. There you go. Um, and also from some people in this room. And if we have time at the end, we'll do about 10 minutes of a live Q&A in case somebody in here needs their life changed. Bam. We got it. All right. Stacey, ready? Let's do it. All right. Number one. All right. What should I put in my Twitter length resume? I thought this was a weird question, and then it was further explained to me that this person, for some reason, keeps being asked for um, a 140-character resume. I don't know. Like, Excuse me. Why? Which is weird, right? Who's applying to these jobs? Are they social yeah. media producers? And, like, what are the jobs? But if you have to have a 140-character resume, how do you even do that? <laughs> So my actual Twitter bio says something like Trinidadian at large. So I've just claimed an entire country. Uh Um, And the bio that I submitted for today says I cause trouble for a living, which I mostly do. I think (laughs) so. This this is very faddish, right? There was a a, a couple of years ago, people would ask things like write some posts or, you know, give us a format of Facebook status update for these kinds of jobs, and I, th- I guess Twitter resumes are the thing. What they're actually asking is how good an editor you are and how compelling you can tell a story in a constrained medium. So, you know, if you're applying for X producer, a large unnamed media company, for example, what can you say in that resume, even within just that amount of text or that number of characters that can sell you as the person who can solve the problem described by the job that you're applying for? That sounds hard. Yeah, that's why Hemingway was only him. So (laughs) writing shorts is hard. (laughs) Touche. Next up, how can you respectfully ask for people's time when you can't pay them? Pay them? Mm. (laughs) Somebody in here been through some stuff. I heard it over here. Okay, so step one is avoid asking for people's time when you can't pay them. Mm-hmm. At a minimum. And this is often when you're conflating your project with an actual business. Like, if you... <laughs> um, 
I'm just saying <laughs> that if you are finding yourself in a position where you have nothing to offer except exposure, perhaps you need to reconsider your business model or maybe have one. Mm. And because it is, it is fundamentally disrespectful to not offer any kind, <laughs> not offer any kind of reciprocity. And not all reciprocity has to be monetary, right? You can say, I have these skills that I can offer to you. Like, can we barter? Right? I might be a graphic designer. I can help you with a logo or some illustration work that is valued up to X. And in exchange, can you write me some copy that would also be valued up to X? But I think too often we get into positions where somebody's like, hey, I have this thing. It would be really cool if... And you're like, and where is the dollar value attached to this thing? <laughs> so we need, we need to get from this point of, yes, we all have friends, we all have projects, we all have things that we can't always afford to pay for immediately, but there does need to be a value exchange. So, and you can all, and like, please say no to more things that are trying to get you to work for free. Ooh, say that again. No, say is no a to more things. <laughs> Oprah taught me that. Um, so, quick follow up. I feel like I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there, in your opinion, ever some sort of situation, some particular company that is like, I am asking you to do work that I cannot financially pay you for, that it makes sense? Hmm. What do you get out of it? Right. So sometimes for you particularly, it might be access to a particular editor that you've always wanted to work with. It actually makes your work better that you can then get paid for somewhere else. Um, but the idea that just having a post on a specific site that might get a lot of audience is going to meaningfully change your life is not a correlation that you can necessarily rely on. Mm -hmm. And so I think you need to be really ruthless and really strategic about if I do this, it is to what end Right. And it might be relationship building like that is a totally valid reason to say yes to things um, as long as the person on the other end isn't an asshole and isn't going to abuse the relationship. It might be access to the editor. It might be access to a network. It might be you just straight up need to publish something so you can get another job, you know, but you you have to go into it very intentionally rather than just hoping something will come out of it. How do you just know stuff like that? <laughs> I, just, I screwed a lot of things up when I was younger. That second question was not written on a card. She just with her brain and then, ugh, I don't know. Um, uh, next up. Yeah. Who, my Lord. How can I work effectively for an organization that doesn't value my education, professional background, or financial needs? Okay. <laughs> I want to start with the last part of that question, which is, why don't they value my financial needs? Mm -hmm. They don't have to care about how much money you need to live your life. Mm. They only have to care about how much is fair for the job that you have applied to and have said yes to. And this often comes up in the context of somebody wants to ask for a raise, and they're like, you know, I'm having a kid, or I want to buy a house. I'm like... Not their problem. Completely, 100%, nothing to do with that negotiation. And so that is, that is something that you have to value yourself on and get like at the point of, will I, if I say yes to this, can I meet my financial needs? As opposed to, why are they lowballing me? Don't they know I have rent? Right? Like <laughs> divorce, divorce those two things. Um, because then you're in, like, in an emotional place where you can handle the first two, two parts of that, which is, there is a pretty well-known psychological theory in which the person who gives a gift always values the, the gift more than the person who receives it. You're always like, remember that time I gave you those amazing tickets and you like forgot? And, <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's, sort of, it's sort of very similar in employment contracts, right? Like where 
you think you are doing somebody a favor because you've said yes to this job and they should appreciate you and they should give you your standing desk and like, all, of, all of the other things that you want. But on the flip side, they're like, cool, solve that problem, move on to the next person I'm going to hire, like, on we go. You know, the courtship phase can feel all light and fuzzy and they're, like, buying you lunch, and, <laughs> like, telling you whatever you want to hear, like, yes, that can be your title, you can totally have a team of nine, absolutely. And then you get there and you're like, where's my desk? And they're like, who are you? <laughs> so, and that, like, that is a really important thing to remember going into these things, which is that just because you have needs does not mean your employer is the person who's going to meet them, especially when those are emotional needs. And so mm. if you are going into something feel, already feeling like you aren't being valued, like the time that you should have been asking those questions is way before you said yes to the job offer, right? Like when you take a job, don't expect it's going to change. It's like getting into a relationship and being like, I will totally get him to pick up after himself. Oh, my God. <laughs> when oh my we move God. in together. It's like, no, it's not going to happen. Like, so... <laughs> You know, the, the thing about these kinds of questions is that attitude, unless you're able to just internalize, okay, this is where I am and this is what, these are the resources on offer and if I have the opportunity, I will negotiate for better ones. If you can't do that going in, you, you will never be satisfied. And I'm not saying that you have to sat, like, settle, but you do have to be aware going in that the responsibilities of an employer are not to make you feel good about the choices that you've made. True. But I feel like... Like, can you know before you accept a job that they're not going to value your education or your professional background? Well, I think this is, like, these are the kinds of the questions. When you are interviewing, at least half of the interview should be, do I want to work for these people? Right? And I think too often people go into an interview feeling exclusively like they are pitching themselves and not enough like they are also being pitched. Right? And so asking questions, you know, you can do this subtly. You can say, I happen to have a PhD and blah, blah, blah. And if they're like... <laughs> like, totally blank face, utterly unimpressed. That is a sort of a red flag that your background is not going to impress them and probably isn't going to impress other people there. And so again, it's about what do you mean? Like, what do you need to be valued by? Like, did you think you should have been given more authority to make decisions? Like, that's something that should have been negotiated at the point of the offer. Like, I want to have decision-making authority or I want to have budget control or I want to have direct reports, so I want to report to like the SVP or the C-suite instead of you know like some generic middle manager. Mm -hmm. And the only time you have that leverage is when they want to hire you, or when somebody else wants to hire you, <laughs> and they really don't want you to go, right? But once you've already said yes, it, like you are no longer the new shiny thing. Fair, rough but fair. Rough, <laughs> such is life. <laughs> womp womp. Four, oh, okay. <laughs> somebody in a professional community or in this room may list the job of your dreams. How do you balance being vulnerable and open with look, well, I cannot read. <laughs> How do you balance being vulnerable and open with looking like a rock star to get hired more easily? So I have an Instagram profile and the only thing I post on my Instagram profile is like, Pictures of me drinking coconut water, <laughs> which I'm super into. And I'm not actually in pictures, just like the coconut. Uh, <laughs> and plays that I go to, um, because I don't want anybody to know what my actual life is. The, but on Twitter, I'm a complete disaster. I'm just like, this is <laughs> Like, opinions, things, and opinions. And... But that was, that was a call that I made about how I was going to present myself like, in different contexts, right? And I remember for a long time when I was on social, 
I, I used to have a protected Twitter account because I didn't want anybody that I worked with to follow me. Same. And then I woke up one day and I was like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> also same. I still have very many drafts <laughs> that if ever accidentally released would probably be incredibly <laughs> problematic. Um, but the thing, the thing about balancing vulnerability in a professional context and honesty in a professional context is usually people are really bad at telling the difference between professional vulnerability and being a complete disaster, right? Professional vulnerability is, I... <laughs> no concept. <laughs> professional vulnerability is, like, I saw this job that I think I'm really qualified for. I'm a little bit worried because I only have two years of experience and they're asking for three versus my life is a mess, it's 2 p.m., I'm wasted. <laughs> you know, those are, those are different kinds of vulnerability <laughs> and those are, like, asking for different kinds of help. Uh, <laughs> and so you have to you have to decide are you talking to you know are you like text messaging your bff who's gonna be like i'll be right there please unplug your twitter account or are you you know like mass emailing a list of professional women in broadcasting who may be less empathetic <laughs> to your Thursday morning meltdown. And so that I think is where where this gets tricky because social platforms are designed to make you want to overshare. It's very hard to know if your privacy setting on this post about you like saying terrible things about your colleagues was actually only intended for that specific group where somebody's just like haha screenshotting and <laughs> and sending that out into the world. You know, I come from a place of Anything that I say probably will eventually be used against me, so, and, but I say it anyway, right? Like, that is, that is the judgment call that I make. But if you are less self-destructive, but also, you know, more in a situation where you're like, the thing that I'm trying to do next, I could actively undermine by how I'm behaving right now, like, that is the question that you have to ask, right? There, are, there is absolute professional vulnerability to be able to go to a group and say, hey, I'm having a really tough time with this particular situation at work. Does anybody have any context that they think that could be useful? Have you gone through this before? With like, everybody I work with is a total fucking idiot and they don't understand me and I'm a special snowflake. Like, I mean, maybe. <laughs> but there are ways of presenting that that will be more useful to you and to the one colleague you forgot was also on that mailing list. <laughs> I feel like we need to pass around a collection plate here pretty soon because um, I have a follow-up question. All right. Um, why disaster on Twitter but controlled on Instagram? Why not the other way around? I like. I have a lot of friends who are professional photographers, and it's super stressful <laughs> because, <laughs> because like all of their Instagrams are like artfully lit and beautiful, and I'm just like coconuts. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I can't compete. I don't have a dog, you know. <laughs> like, like, like I have nothing to offer on Instagram, so I'm like, whatever. Um, whereas on Twitter, I'm like pretty good at words, so I'm like, bring it. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, I am a disaster on every social media network. If anyone is interested, if you need another disaster to add to your feeds. Um, I'm really excited about this question because I feel like I could have asked it myself. I'm an introvert. <clears throat> How can I establish myself as an effective employee without burning? Well, I cannot read. How? <laughs> I'm also not drunk today. How can I establish myself? You know, I would have been more in my element. I'm not used to doing this without a... We are going to do this as a family and as grown-ups. All right. We've got this. We're just, we're 
just going to start this entire question over. All right, let's do it. I'm really excited about this question because I feel like I could have written it myself. Okay. I'm an introvert. <laughs> Me too. If you don't, okay. I'm an introvert. How can I establish myself as an effective employee without burning out my emotional resilience? So I'm, I'm also an introvert, and people never believe me when I say this, which Same. is part of the problem. Right. Um, if you are a manager, there's a book I really recommend. It's by Susan Cain, and it's called Quiet. <laughs> and it's a fantastic freaking book. And the thing about a lot of workplaces, especially in media, is they require you to be switched on in a way that is incredibly exhausting. Like, after this, I'm going to go home, drink wine, and go through my Twitter feed for, like, five hours and not talk to anybody just to be able to recover. (laughs) You know, um, it's not your fault. (laughs) But this is how I know what I need to do. But when you're in an environment in which, you know, people are, like, constantly sharing stories or talking about their weekends or just being professionally appropriately vulnerable... And you feel like you need to, to be part of that, or they're like, hey, we're all going to see like a game of some sport after. <laughs> <laughs> you should come. And you're like, I don't want to. <laughs> you know, so what I, what I have come up with is, and this, this works for me, but you have to find what works for you. I'm like, how many things can I say yes to before I hate everyone? <laughs> and how do I avoid getting to that point? And so through much trial and error, I can say yes to approximately one and a half things a week that require me to be in like social contacts where there's lots of people and lots of small talk and lots of, you know, how are you things um, before I just like deep, deeply resent everyone else that I'm exposed to <laughs> that day. This is like only my first thing this week, so you're all fine. Uh, <laughs> Yay! But it, it took me a while to, like, one, be honest with myself about these are the kinds of things that I need to do and that if I'm overscheduled and if I have four or five days in a row, it's like breakfast, lunch, meetings, after work thing, social obligations, dealing with family, all in the same week. Just, no, I'm a terrible person. Um, and I, but I also think that employers and managers and colleagues have to figure out what is the difference between somebody who is introverted or sometimes shy, and those are not the same things, I'm not shy, um, and somebody who just, like, doesn't like you. <laughs> like, which, also, you don't have to be friends with your colleagues, right? Like, that is not actually a requirement of an employment contract. But I think a lot of workplaces over-optimize for everybody should hang out, everybody should really like each other. If you work in a place where you genuinely like the people that you are working with, more power to you, stay there, carry on, recruit, um, but if you are just in a situation where you know that a certain amount of socializing, maybe with clients, maybe with your managers, maybe with your colleagues, is part of the job, then you need to build that into your schedule. You need to build that into your routine. You need to be in a place where, like, okay, if every other Tuesday there's a thing that we have to go to, what is the minimum amount of time that I can be there? How can I act appropriately while I'm there and make a quiet exit and be like, cool, I'm out? You know, <laughs> that's what you need to do. Um, if you have signed up to the kind of job where that is one of your expectations, then you need to adjust the rest of what you're doing around it. Because it's unfair that that is one of the expectations of the modern workplace, but that is the reality. And until you're at a point where you are the boss or you are working for yourself and can therefore like hang out in your room all the time um, <laughs> and avoid these situations entirely. Like f- figure out the ways, figure out what your minimum thresholds are, figure out how you can effectively design a routine that helps you recover. 
right? So like one of my favorite things, like I said, just scroll through Twitter for five hours, but it's also just reading a book and not looking at screens um, or not answering my phone or you know switching off my email. There are definitely things that I can do. And sometimes I have the luxury of an entire day to do that. Sometimes I only have 45 minutes, you know? And so for me, if I'm getting to the point where I'm like, oh no, I have three meetings back to back. Can I for 10 minutes go outside and take a walk and just like recenter? That's something that I have to be really vigilant about doing. Um, Follow-up question. <clears throat> Let's say that you are an introvert and you work for somebody who doesn't understand it and thinks that you just hate everybody. And That's they're like totally kind of coming down on you <laughs> kind of hard. What can you do in that situation? I would ask a question like, I get the impression that you think that I, I'm not a team player, which is often what that is about, right? Like mm -hmm. they're saying that, you know, like all of your colleagues are doing these things and they're going out and they're doing these things. Um, I find it really hard or I find it really exhausting or I get tired very quickly. Is there something else that, or, you know, is, is this affecting my performance in a specific way? Or like help me understand what my general inability to function in social situations is how, like, how is this harming the team? How is this harming our relationship? Because I think people often don't know what they're reacting to, but they're reacting to something. Mm. And this <laughs> minority flag, the, the thing about being the different person in the workplace is you often have to do the work of explaining to that person <laughs> like why the situation is not in fact <laughs> what they think it is. Oh and how gosh. can you, the person who shouldn't have to do the work, help them understand their perspective and like how they can make this easier for you. <laughs> uh, so I've, I've definitely run into that. And it was in a situation where I worked in technology for a minute and everything was always after work and it always involved beer and I hate beer so much. Wait, it involved what? Be drinking beer, like, and you know, doing like beer, beer pong. B-E-E-R. I can't, I like, I speak English. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would have said beer, so. Unless you say it um, that way, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so my way around this was I would sometimes volunteer to organize things at wine bars instead. Because I like wine. <laughs> and that was totally reasonable. Or something that just didn't involve alcohol whatsoever. And, you know, so it's like, how can you, what are, what are the systems that you're operating in? And how can you find the loopholes and still get what you need out of them? All right. All right. Um, I totally knew that you said beer. I was just joking. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, last one? <clears throat> okay. So this is the last one before we go to the live Q&A. Um, I'm dedicated to my field and eager to learn, but what is the plan if no one will teach you? How do you talk to your superior about needing more guidance? This is tough. In an ideal world, when you're hired and you have a job, somebody's entire responsibility would be to you and equipping you the skills that you need and including you in the right meetings and seizing you in the right emails. Hard fact, not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and this is often very difficult, especially for people who are coming, are like just graduating and have been in academic environments where like that handholding was actually what you pay for. Um, and so, you know, you get into there and you're like all bright and shiny. You're like, where do I get my gold stars? I'm like, there are no gold stars. <laughs> Sorry. Um, there are not even stars. There are only demerits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> just saying. Life um, is hard. Life <laughs> it's is all the kind cold. of schools I went to. And so I think there is an expectation that people will know what your needs are. 
which is 100% wrong all the time. The only way that somebody will know what you are struggling with, what you don't know how to do, is if you, one, can identify and articulate that, and if you then identify and articulate that to someone who can help you. Now, there is a difference between can and will, which is another one of the workplace challenges. Like Just because you directly report to somebody doesn't mean they are the person who will be the ones to help you. It often... Mm. Like one of the hardest things about workplaces is finding out who is actually in charge, um, <laughs> where the power lies and where your potential allies are, and then you know meeting those people and convincing them to be on your side. And so the first step is to be like, what am I? What do I actually need here? Because sometimes there, you know, very very frequently when somebody says I really need help with this, what they mean is I really want you to validate my work which is like a different thing entirely. But if you mm-hmm. have identified that there is a skill set that you lack or training that you need, that is something that you can very clearly go to whoever it is, like your boss or HR, and say, um, I'm having some trouble with this. Is there anybody that I can talk to about X, Y, or Z? If you're in a, in a situation where, and I've seen this in financial services, I've also seen this in some newsrooms, where it's a little bit more competitive and you know information is hoarded <laughs> as a way of asserting like dominant superiority, maintaining promotions, whatever, then you have to get a little bit cleverer about figuring out what are the ways around like the formal power structures and what are the things that you can do. So sometimes it's just what can you teach yourself? What can you learn from a colleague? Can you shadow somebody? Can you very informally like pick up on things? Um, I, one of my favorite things when I was working in another media company was to befriend executive assistants because executive assistants run all organizations that, hi- that have them. And <laughs> if they are the people who run the diaries, the, they schedule the meetings, they know where people are, and if you treat people with like a modicum of decency, respect, and friendliness, they will often be the ones who can answer all of your questions about a mm-hmm. thing, and who can be the ones to get you in front of the person who would not, never otherwise know your name. Mm-hmm. Right? And that, for me, it works very well in large organizations, um, it even works in some smaller ones where there's like a little more informality. Somebody might not be called an executive assistant, but that is like their actual function. And so, you know, get really good at organizational maneuvering, and like look at and try to figure out where are the people who you're not currently talking to that you might get real help from, versus the people who you might directly report to, who might not be so helpful. Um, what happens if you're working a job, you've asked everybody that you know for help, you still haven't gotten any, when is it time to be like, all right, I'm out? I think you are the only person who can ever tell if it's you're out, but you should have exhausted all of your available options first, right? So there was a while when I was trying to teach myself like a specific programming thing, and I realized that... I could just Google it. (laughs) This is like the dirty secret of 90% of all programming. It is somebody has already asked that question. And if you Google it, the answer will be found. Um, I make judicious use of mailing lists. I see a couple of people who I recognize from a couple of lists. And I'll say, hey, like, does anybody know about this thing? You know, it's often about, and this goes back to the thing about vulnerability. You have to get over this idea that, that asking a question is a sign of weakness. Right? Like asking a question is a power move because it indicates that you're confident enough to be like, I don't know a thing, but me knowing the thing is much more valuable 
than me pretending that I know the thing. Because somebody, mm-hmm. somebody will always know when you are faking it. <laughs> <laughs> and there is an actual difference between feeling like you don't know and bullshitting. Like, those are totally different things. And if you genuinely don't know and you want to find out, there are often avenues that you might not have explored. But exploring those avenues sometimes requires feeling a little bit uncomfortable about, like, putting yourself out there and doing that. I feel 200% smarter <laughs> in, like, the five minutes we've been on stage as Horty. How long have we actually been here? I don't know. <laughs> that was... That was the last one, so we can go to Q&A. Yeah. Make this, like, the best question you've ever asked. Right. <laughs> no, no pressure. No pressure, though. <laughs> Does anyone have a question for Stacey Marie? Hey. All right. Um, <clears throat> okay. Hi. Hi, Jackie. Hi. Um, thanks. So when I started um, at my job, I was an editorial assistant, and I quickly climbed the ranks because I kind of was doing everything. (laughs) Um, But I still find myself in a situation where I'm still sometimes asked to do these sort of assistant tasks. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out basically like the best way of um, not doing that stuff anymore. (laughs) There's no one, there's no one below me who could do it. Um, So I feel like that's maybe why, but like, I just, I don't know. I mean, I think you've identified two things, right? Like, if there is work to be done and there's nobody to do it, you'll need to hire somebody. <laughs> but also, often people are asking you to do things because they're still associating you with your previous rule. And like internal communications has never been the strength of any company in the history of companies. Um, sometimes I will flip the question. I'll be like, I don't have time. But if you ask so-and-so, like if I do know if there's somebody else to do that thing... Or have you tried? <laughs> right, like one of one of my favorite things is showing somebody where they can get that information or how they can get that information. Or in fact, just building the tools so that the next time when somebody asks me for that thing, I'm like, here's a link <laughs> like, that you can do that. You know, so I would say that like there's there's two things. It's figuring out is somebody asking you because they still think that is your responsibility, and you need, then you need to disabuse them gently of that notion the first time the second time you don't have to be so nice about it or is there like are there actual things that need to be done by someone if it's no longer your responsibility then who can you talk to about making sure that hey like these things keep happening we're not doing these things because of this um if you can tie that back to and therefore we're wasting precious dev time or design time or money um, which is usually the only three things that get people to hire somebody uh how can you do that and then finally just kind of figuring out, like, there are times when I say yes to things because it's actually genuinely useful for me because I learn how to do a new thing or I get into a meeting that I wasn't otherwise invited to, you know. Um, And so, like, it's just about figure out why those questions are coming to you and then how you can deflect them either organizationally or interpersonally. Cool. Thank you, everybody. Bye. All right. Oh, wait, 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 wait. If you, like everyone else, is like, I need more Stacey Marie in my life... How can people follow you? Um, Where can we see you be Twitter? a disaster? Um, it's like I'm basically a misandrist, and in my like s underscore m underscore i on Twitter, um, you can't find me on Instagram. Sorry. <laughs> Fair. There you go. Um, listen to another round, guys. Bye. Yay. That was Tracy Clayton and Stacy Marie Ishmael speaking at the 2016 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with additional support from the Harnish Foundation.